Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, crew. Did you know that you can use code PUREDOGTALK at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders to receive $20 off? <laughs> I'm saving you 20 bucks, guys, off each Embark for Breeder kit you buy. Embark for Breeders dog DNA kits bring you the genetic results you need to create a best-in-show breeding program. Identify your puppy's genetic profiles before they go to their new homes, like I did, and give new owners peace of mind and useful genetic health information. Embark, creator of the highest-rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available and easy-to-download OFA submission reports for breeders. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, and don't forget this part, use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. And remember to use the code PUREDOGTALK. They're world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have a very popular guest returning for us this week. This is Stephanie Seabrook Hedgepath. She is an author. She is a breeder. She is an AKC judge. And she and I love to talk about dog structure. We sure do. <laughs> so welcome back, Stephanie. It is great to be back. Excellent. So because this is such a hot button topic and because I think it is a topic that is so frequently misunderstood, we're going to take and follow on from our last discussion about overall structure and really drill down onto front assemblies. Yes. Yes. So there's two things. There's breeding and selecting for a front assembly. And, okay, the third thing, the different front assemblies that you can see that are correct in different types of breeds of dogs. Correct. Absolutely. So let's start with breeding. Let's start with, like, trying to make it. So I want to breed for the front structure that is correct for my breed. Give me your lowdown on how I'm going to do that. Well, you try to basically find a dog. If you have a bitch and her front assembly is not what you really want, what you've got to do is you've got to find a dog that has the front assembly you do want, which is not easy in any breed because one of the hardest things to put on a dog is that front assembly. But once you find a dog, okay, maybe he's almost perfect in his front assembly, but he's better than your bitch. So when you do that breeding, 
Don't be taken in by that precious little beautiful face if it doesn't have that front assembly you're looking for. Now, one of my mentors used to always say, you can put a head on a dog in a generation. Well, I don't know if I agree with quite that. It took me a while (laughs) because I started out with dogs that were very, very sound, but not very pretty. Mm -hmm. They were identifiable as their breed, but not very pretty. But it does no good if you're going to do all of this research and go to the shows and go to the specialties to find this dog with this front assembly. If you don't keep the puppy from the litter with the best front assembly. I say this all the time. What did you do the breeding to get? Keep the puppy that has, hopefully, there is a puppy that has what you did the breeding to get. That's exactly right. And it's not easy. I mean, it is not easy. And you're never going to breed the perfect dog. So there's always going to be some little something that bugs you. But that's what makes it fun, too, is always trying to take that one more step, one more step to perfection. But that's the main thing. And that's, I'm afraid, what a lot of people do. And they try to say, well, you got to have type first. Well, yes, you do. You've got to be able to look at the dog and go, oh, that's a Pembroke Welsh Corgi. Not a cardigan was right. Okay, so that means your dog has type. Now, it may have light eyes, or it may have not quite right ear or whatever, but it's Not still, painted by God. Yeah, it still looks like a corgi. So you've got to stay within those parameters. Mm-hmm. But once you do that, yeah, keep looking. Just keep looking and keep looking and keep looking, and you'll find a dog. You'll do it. And I think, too, One of the things that I think is maybe even more difficult, but is something that I have frequently had drilled into my head, find the dog that has the front assembly, but is not a fluke in his pedigree. Yeah. Like there should be a long line of dogs with that front assembly that came to him. And that's getting increasingly hard to find. Very. Uh huh. And honestly, people, we've got to look. I've never been one that thought that movement and type were two different things. They're the same thing. I know because every dog moves according to his type and how he's put together. So movement is an integral part of type. Movement is actually the proof of structure. I mean, let's just say an old English sheepdog and its movement and a bearded collie and its movement. Yeah, both fuzzy dogs, long hair. Gray and white. Yeah, yeah. They come from kind of the same areas, sort of maybe, and totally different breed type. Locomotion and breed type. And also they worked in different terrain. And different styles of working. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is something I cannot say enough times. The work that a dog was designed to do informs the structure it has to do the job the people needed it to do. To live. Because it was either to put meat on the table or to have meat to sell or to 
be a poacher or <laughs> whatever. Right. Whatever it was. Keep the food on the table. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we're fortunate today in that, yes, we can breed for pretty, but what good is it if it doesn't still represent the breed that it was supposed to be and do what it The concept be. of preservation breeding is to preserve the dog. Yeah. It was designed to do the job. Even if it doesn't still do the job, it should be able to do the job. Yeah, not a whole lot of corgis are used on cattle these days, although there are a few. There's an awful lot of wire hair pointers that are still hunting birds. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, they're like the little Britons. I mean, you know, they are very much a dual dog, very yeah. much, because they still look the same. Pretty much, pretty close. And both of them excel at hunting. Yeah. But not many corgis get to see or shepherds or anything. Mm-hmm. I loved what a border collie breeder from Scotland. He was a judge and we were in Norway judging. And he looked at me and he said, you know, in Scotland, we have dogs because we have sheep. In the United States, you have sheep because you have dogs. And I about perfect. But it's true because it is a very close friend at the time. That's all she cared about was, you know, she had her little flock of sheep that she bought so she could work her dogs. So right. there, you, there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many years in my life did I have a pigeon coop so that I could raise training birds so that I could train my dogs so that we could go hunting? <laughs> Absolutely. It's really funny the things that we do. And it is true. So we know that we're trying to build a better front assembly, and we know that we're trying to find dogs in other pedigrees that carry that forward. So let's talk about the different types of front assemblies we can have. We've got sort of the, I'm not going to say generic dog, sort of the sporting dog, working dog, many of the hounds. It's got a 90 degree-ish heart. Mm -hmm. It's got a long upper arm. It's got a long Mm -hmm. scapula. They match. They meet underneath the withers. That's your ideal. But you have a lot of other different kinds of fronts, too. Oh, yeah. And they were all related exactly to what the dog did. Yes. Terrier fronts are very different. They don't cover a tremendous amount of ground with every step. Therefore, they have much more moderate angulation. Some of them, the upper arm is in a different position. Yes. And it can be smaller. Often shorter based on they were digging. Digging. Yeah. Well, look at dachshunds. You got to have a heck of a keel mm-hmm. so that they can rest on that while they're using their paws to dig. So, yeah, all of it comes together. The sight hounds are another one right. that are quite different. And they're usually much more open angles. Very much more open. They're almost what we would say completely upright. There is some angulation, a layback on them. And the lay on is important as well, how it's put on to the chest. Now, you look at a sight hound, and it's a narrower chest, but deeper. Yes. Because you still got to have the area for the heart and lungs. And as a respiratory therapist, since retired, breathing is very important. It is. (laughs) And if you have a moderate you know, you don't have a lot of spring of rib and all that kind of stuff. Well, you better have some kind of volume in there 
so that those lungs can expand and bring in the air that they're going to need because they use it up faster than just about anything else because they're a galloping breed. Right. And so I think that that's really important. These more open upright angles that facilitate the double suspension gallop, the really big taking in great leaps of ground. And they have to have tremendous power behind as well. So you would think this is an out of balance dog, but they aren't. They trot along just as beautifully as anything else because they're coordinated. Right. And their rear angles are more open as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's where you want it to match. I get it's the shoulder blade to the upper arm. That's your angle in the front. And it's the pelvis to the thigh. And those are the angles that you want to match as closely as possible, depending on what the dog is bred to do. And I think that's a really great point, Stephanie, that I think any of us that have thought and looked at and studied and talked about angulation and structure and all that, you go from the point of the pelvis up here, the top yeah. of the, the hip bone. Iliac press. And you go down here to the back, to the point of the buttock. Mm-hmm. And then you go forward again to the stifle where it bends there at the knee. Right. And then you take that and you go back to the hock. Yeah. That's like a secondary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But it's just like art. You know, you don't want hot too long or too short. You want everything. A lot of times they call it the golden thirds. You want everything kind of to be equal. And on some breeds, it's not. It's not called for. It's slightly different. And these are the things that as a breeder, you need to study your breed. You need to understand where your breed came from, what it was meant to do. Even if it was a toy breed that was supposed to sit in a lady's lap. But honey, it was bred down from something that had a purpose. And in many cases, you know, this is actually one of those things that gets me riled up a lot, like a lot. The Pekingese or the Pug or the Shih Tzu or whatever these breeds are that are brachycephalic that were bred to not do anything but sit there and be adorable. And suddenly in the 21st century, they're supposed to be marathon runners. Like, no, no. If you want a marathon runner, let me introduce you to a breed that is a marathon runner. There you go. This is the beauty and the elegance of purebred dogs. It is. There is a breed to do all the things. I mean, a lot of the Pekingese never touched the ground. They were the sleeve dogs Mm -hmm. and they had all these huge contests amongst the breeders, the eunuchs who bred them, about who could breed the prettiest one or the best color or the smallest. It's just, again, learn your history. Learn what your dog's about, even if it's a relatively modern dog. And do not try to make it something that it isn't. Absolutely. That's a true preservation breeder. Somebody who's not trying to make it what you want. But what it is. And if you want something different, I promise you there is a breed for you. Yeah. I'm happy to help you find one, whatever it might be. Yep. Sorry, that's a complete squirrel that we're chasing, but that just makes me crazy. Yeah. Well, but again, we got to go back to the fact that every breed has a slightly different way of going. 
as far as structure and movement. And this is what you need to learn as a breeder. I have Pembroke Welsh Corgis. It is a dwarf breed. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that means they got short little legs. Mm -hmm. Well, how are they going to get those short little legs up under their body? Well, their upper part of their forearm has to curve inward so that their feet can get underneath their body. If their feet stay out on the outside, who are we talking about? Bulldog. (laughs) Yeah. All right. But only the front two feet stay out. Yes. But they have a role. Mm Mm-hmm. But with them, they balance it off by just shuffling behind and basically having it real close to the whole body doesn't. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of movement is moving forward, not laterally. So you want forward motion in whatever breed you're looking at, but they do it in different ways. Yes, they do. Let's talk about another good one, clumber spaniels. Very specific. The clumber role is specifically mentioned in the standard. It is a function of their, again, they're not an achondroplastic breed, but they are a long and low breed. Long and low, heavy bone. Heavy bone, heavy body, round ribbing. Mm -hmm. The rear legs and the front legs come under the body and that causes the body to roll in motion. Whether they're hunting, whether they're moving in a show ring, whether they're just slumping around the house. And I can tell you, this is a fact. And when I get crazy is when I see a clumber spaniel that has a trampoline for a top line. Up and down is not side to side. Up and down is not a roll. It is a trampoline. That's vertical motion. (laughs) Up and down. And that comes usually because of the jarring when they're pounding in their front. Inadequate layback and angulation. Dogs either keep their feet in the air. If they're unbalanced, if they have a straight front and a really good rear, you look at the rear, it drives the dog forward. The front's kind of the pole vault thing. We've mentioned this before, Mm -hmm. but it also has some pull when they reach out. Think of a swimmer. Swimmer reaches out and then pulls back. Well, this is what's happening with the dog. But if they can't get their feet up under them, they're going to waste all this energy going back rolling. And that's what Pekingese, Pekingese wide in the front, narrow in the back, mm-hmm. they should roll. Yeah. But you shouldn't have, say, for example, an English setter that does that. No, that would not be good. <laughs> no, so I think the pretty. important part that we're saying here is that what is correct for one breed that allows it to do its job that it was created for correctly is wrong for another breed that allowed it to do its job correctly. And the generic concept of every dog has to look and act and walk exactly the same in order to be acceptable is missing a huge part of the reality check here. Yeah. And again, that falls on the breeder. If you want to be a breeder, study your breed. Anything you can find out about the history of your breed If you're not sure every now and then, I mean, I even study the standards and I'll, you know, you'll look at a word and you'll go, wait a minute. I don't remember that being there. Now, what is exactly? And most of the AKC books, I know they have wonderful glossaries and illustrated standards usually do. I know when we did one, I gave it to my mother-in-law, who's not a dog person, asked her to read it and proof it. 
And if she didn't understand a word to try to look it up. Right. And I said, and if it's not back there, would you highlight it? So I'll know what it was you didn't understand. But again, it's learning a new language. It is. And I think, you know, for the listeners, there's a lot of folks out there. You guys are already dog owners or dog breeders, but there's people who are looking at new breeds. There's people that are considering a new dog and want to know more. I always encourage them to go to the website for the parent club of that breed. Absolutely. They almost always have a history section, you know, that helps them understand. So for example, if I going to talk about my breed, you have Pembroke's, I have German wirehair pointers, Mm -hmm. hunt fur and feather. Mm -hmm. They weren't just pointing dogs. Not just upland stuff. mm -hmm. Fur and feather, retrieve on land and in water. Yeah. So here's the coat, super important. Dispatch small predators up to and including a fox. That's a lot of dog. Think about what that dog needs to be in order to kill a fox. Yeah. It's not just an easy dog. No. And so people who think they're super cute and have these fuzzy little faces should keep in mind that the people who developed the breed made them a certain way on purpose. And this might be more dog than you are able to manage even if it does have a super cute furry little face. And they were also to protect hearth and home. This is a stand-up dog. And I see real, real issues develop in our breed and in other breeds where similar sorts of things happen, where people are trying to transition these dogs to be more suitable to the 21st century, easier, softer, gentler, kinder. Well, what's happened is they've taken away the stand-up part of the dog and they've left the sharp part of the dog. And that causes real, serious, legitimate problems in a breed. Yeah, here we go off on temperament. (laughs) Has nothing to do with fronts. I know this, but I'm saying. I know, but this is what's so much fun about your broadcasts is, you know, it makes you go, hmm, you know, I never thought of that before. I'll tell a story on me. Back in the day when I first started, I love, of course, I love every dog I ever met, but I had German Shepherds and Corgis. And then I just saw this lady from the Southeast showing these little skipper keys. And oh my gosh, they were fabulous. Oh, those little dogs were in control and just beautiful. And she'd come in year after year after year. And so finally I went to her and I said, I am really interested in this breed. I'd like to talk to you about getting one. And this is why you should study your standard. I went and she had a beautiful little puppy and I went to look at it and I saw it go down and back and it double tracked. It was wide coming and going. And I thought, ah, no, I can't deal with that. That's why it's important to read your standard because that's a highly prized character. I was just going to say they're supposed to do that. They they doubled, you know, yeah. Well, you know, I finally figured it out, but he went on (laughs) to be a multiple best in show winner and stupid here because she thought she knew everything, didn't really read the standard. So read the standard first and then decide if you want to do it. You know, I could have had a Bastion Show dog in the 80s. Because you know, <laughs> that was a dog I could actually move with. Right, you right, know, right. Around the but to this day, I love the breed and I follow them. And that breeder is still around. And really, when I went to judge him, was a phenomenal mentor. Right. 
Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion's game-changing software makes them the only insurance provider with the ability to pay your vet directly at the time of checkout. Crazy, right? That means when you visit a participating veterinarian, you no longer need to complete a claim form or wait for reimbursement. You simply pay your portion of the bill at checkout and Trupanion takes care of the rest. If you're a breeder, you can also send your litters home with a special offer for Trupanion coverage through their breeder support program. The program provides breeders with all kinds of valuable resources like individualized support, an online community of quality breeders, and professional marketing materials for your go-home kits. To learn more and sign up for the Breeder Support Program, just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Well, I mean, that story absolutely highlights what we're talking about. Yeah. And I think that it starts with structure. It follows to movement. It follows to temperament. It follows to whatever the coat standard is for your breed. All of these things are there for a reason. Yes. And paying attention to each of them as we're making our breeding decisions, as we're selecting our puppies from within the litter, as we are moving forward with showing and as judges evaluating these dogs, that has to, if we're going to really mean what we say, that has to be the number one priority. Making sure that the dog fits the standard that was written to describe the dog that it did its job the best. Well, I think another thing that we need to look at is breeders too. You can't just look at one generation. If you're going to breed, I'm going to breed George to Sally over here because Sally doesn't have a great front. George does. Well, then you keep that good puppy with the front, but you've got to find a place to take that puppy next. So you always want to kind of have a next step in mind. Regeneration plan. I do it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, you have to go somewhere else, but at least you got a plan. And that's always a good thing. My plans have been dashed more times than I can discuss without bursting into tears. But yes, you have to plan. Yeah, they don't call it the heartbreak hobby for no reason. But, But the front assembly of a dog, it's so important. It holds the majority of the weight of the dog the fore assembly because of the head. So 60% of the weight is on the front of the dog. And it determines usually how long a dog will be able to work Yes, to do its job because dogs that are not put together well in the front often break down in the front. They break down in the back even. I mean, that's one of the things that I will say, particularly in a breed oh, like yes. yours, the clumbers, the long back breeds, if you don't have a strong front supporting that dog, you're going to wind up with cervical disc problems. You're going to wind up mm-hmm. with other problems to do with the back. I noticed that, I mean, at a national one year, and it was the veteran class. And you look down the line and you think, I did not remember him being high in the rear. Well, he wasn't high in the rear. He was literally breaking down in the front. So his front had lowered because it couldn't hold it up anymore. So front assemblies are extremely important. 
And I wish there was a magic formula. I wish I could have found it years and years ago, but it just attention, paying attention, caring about it, making that more important than where some spot falls or another. But it's also a question of understanding basic science. Like if the upper arm in one dog is two inches long and you need it to be five inches long, that isn't going to happen because you twinkle your nose. You've got to find the dog that has the proper length of bone. I mean, that's an actual bone. We're not even talking about muscle and ligament there. Oh, no. It's got to have enough length to pull the front under the ribbon. Under the, yeah, to put it up under. And that's why you need to learn how to find the landmarks on your dog. So you were, and it's almost impossible not to do it, people to understand it without us demonstrating what it is. And maybe we can, we'll plan it. We're going to do a seminar. (laughs) That'd be fun. 22 is going to come. We're going to be able to go places and be in public. It'll be great. Boy, I know. It'll be awesome. But yes, Stephanie and I both do this. So this is something that we could do together. We both, yeah. That, oh my gosh. I don't know if they could survive. <laughs> no, no, it might oh, be the end of the world. <laughs> but I think they would like it. It would be great. And I know people would enjoy seeing it. But I do think that we all learn best when we're able to physically feel mm-hmm. and physically feel this is the actual shoulder blade. And this is one that's laid on well. And this is one that's wide apart. And it's a little rough. And this is the actual upper arm. And they're both three inches long. This one comes underneath the ribbing. This one's clear out here in front of the ear. Yeah. So, I mean, you can feel that when you put your hands on. And that's the whole thing. You've got to learn. And that's why when I go through it, I always talk about seeing structure. You know, when the judge walks around your dog, of course, that can lie because there's some very talented handlers that can make a dog look far better than it is. Well, some of us needed to make a living. Come on. (laughs) But you can see structure, then you can feel structure. And then when you actually see motion, that's when you prove what you've actually got. Rachel Page Elliott, when she did all of her incredible things with... That's what anyone who hasn't read Dog Steps, that's a required reading. Yeah. There's even if you dig around on the internet, you can find some of her videos that are just really incredible to watch. And they're wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful. But we can't carry an x-ray machine in our back pocket. (laughs) But I want to make one special note here because I think this is important. I'd like to hear you speak to it as well. We can only see a dog move and make judgment on it based on what's in the ring. Your dog, if you're moving it too fast, if you've got the leash too tight, if it's not trained, if it's scared, if it's charging, if it's dragging, if it's whatever, it might look like a prancing pony Percheron out there in the yard. But if what I've got in the ring is looks like a spider on speed, that's not my fault. (laughs) And practice people, practice. In my kennel, I have mirrors. I have a big mirror where I stack the puppies on the table so I can do it by myself and see it. And I have one on the ground where mm-hmm. I can do it down yep. and back when I'm by myself, then yep. I can see what they're doing. And it's very frustrating when you're a judge. We have, if we're really lucky, two and a half minutes. Mostly two. <laughs> yeah, that's two and a half expansion. So I, 
But you have two minutes, and sometimes you basically have a minute. But please train your dog to go down and back in a straight line. It is really important. Train yourself to go down and back in a straight line. Yeah, you go down and back and have your dog in control enough that it's not going to weave, that it'll stay in one place as you go. Now, when the dog goes around the majority of breeds, it would be delightful if you could train the dog to go around on a loose lead so that its head will be in the proper position as called for in your standard. Some call for the head to be up. Some call the head to be, you know, slightly lower than withers. And that's important as well. And I'm a breeder owner handler. I was never a pro. And I had to go in and beat all the big name handlers if I was going to ever win. And it took me a very long time. I'll be honest, I'm slow on that take, but I finally found some really good mentors. And if you don't understand something, go ask somebody. If you see a handler that you like, I have found the handlers to be an incredible source of information when I'm studying to judge a breed. I will go to somebody and they'll talk to you. Now, don't come when they're in the middle of getting their dogs ready. But if you're new or if there's somebody there, if it's a judge, now you've got to approach a judge in the correct manner. Right. And it's not. I, I don't want you to ask me why Fluffy didn't win. win. Yeah. <laughs> because most of the time, I'm sorry, if it was more than 15 minutes ago, I won't remember. But what I say is just bring your dog back and I'll be happy to go over your dog if I have a moment to go over your dog, and I can tell you what I like and what I find I think could be better. I'm talking to a young lady right now, and she says, I'm scared to go ask those people. Don't. I told somebody in the ring this weekend, she was so cute. She was in there with her dog and owner handled, and she was clearly just terrified. She was so nervous. She was shaking. I said, honey, I haven't bitten anybody in months. It's going to be okay. (laughs) And she laughed, and she relaxed. So that's a thing. What you got to understand is all of us started in the same place. Yep. I had a young man, a lady said, my son is going to bring in our special and we're the only ones. Mm -hmm. And she said, I just wanted you to know he's really nervous. And even my ring steward got in on it. He went over and he said, all right, now stand right here and face me. And then he got confused. And I just said, all right, now this is what I need you to do. And I told him. And then he really was doing a pretty good job. And we went and he won the breed because he had his dog was better than his mama's dog, his special. And then I looked at him and I said, you know what? You'll never have to do your first time in a dog show ring again. I said, you got that behind you. Nailed it. We all did this. Yep. All of us started yep. somewhere, someplace. You don't come out. You have to work at it. You have to work at it. and. You have to train your dog. You have to select the proper dog. You have to learn and know what you're seeing. And some people get lucky and they get a, you know, magic wand and their first dog is a big time winner. And most of the rest of us work our heinies off for a lot of years. So, all right, Stephanie, I really appreciate it. I know y'all, we got more than just fronts in this conversation, but (laughs) it's all right. We can come back to the discussion. 
Next time, let's have an outline. <laughs> well, we have an outline. We touched on it, and then we went off and chased squirrels all over the place. It was I great know. Fun. I think that the important part that I take away from this, and I think listeners will as well, front assemblies are important. They are different between types of dogs. And if you are breeding dogs and looking to create better front assemblies, you have to select for the dog that has the correct front assembly when you evaluate the litter. That's it exactly. And sometimes it's hard because you may not do well with the dog in the show ring. And, oh, wait for it. Once you've selected it, you have to train it so that the judge can actually see the movement (laughs) that proves the structure. That's right. See, that was a full package right there. That's it. Gee, I should have talked to you 50 years ago. (laughs) You would have saved me a lot of trouble. Well, you know what? You and I are very fortunate. We've earned our hard knocks and we are in a position that we can share our knowledge with other people. So I appreciate that. And I thank you very, very much. As always, me too. I enjoyed it. Have a great day. Like the NPR of dogdom. Pure Dog Talk is here for you, to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab, too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Who knew? Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.